Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Again, good morning. Let me go ahead and get started. So, um, so I was talking, we're, we're still in Amos, just so everybody knows. Uh, we're going to be teaching from Amos chapter 5 today, so if you want to go ahead and go there, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. And I recognize, let me say this up front, if you've been to all three of these Amos services, you're a trooper. And I don't mean all three today, I mean all three of the, the, the services that we've had regarding the, the message that Amos is delivering to God's people you're a trooper because it's been tough. Like, this, these have been some tough words. But let me tell you, they're essentially and necessarily tough words. I, Rich Mulligan, many of you know him, some of you don't. That's all right. Came up to me after the first service. And he said, Pastor Jim, I told him, I said, I, I don't like speaking rough to you, but I will speak rough to you where the Word of God speaks rough because that's my responsibility. And, I, and so Rich came up to me after service and said, look, man, I know, I know the message is hard, but it's okay, because you're just trying to aim us in the right direction. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. As I started telling that joke again, my wife's shaking her head going. So I, I, who doesn't love a good dad joke, right? So Amos is trying to aim us in the right direction. And so sometimes in order to be placed back on the path that we should be on, we have to be nudged pretty hard to get back on that path. But you know what? We've talked about up to this point the judgment of God on his people. And he has to be a God of judgment. I don't like it, but I don't have to like it. You don't have to like it either. It's part of his righteous character. In order for him to be perfect, he must judge perfectly. Amen? And so we have to accept the fact that there is a judgment coming. But we also accept the fact that God never shuts the door as long as we're still alive on mercy and grace. Which makes him perfect too. Because everything that he is, he is perfectly according to the word of God. He can't lack in anything. So where he's perfect justice, he's also perfect mercy. Where he's perfect mercy and justice, he's also perfect grace. And so for that reason, in the book of Amos, he warns us. He tells us over and over again, this is where you're getting it wrong. So get it right. So that what we read in Amos chapter 5, two or three times, might come to pass. It, I think there's three times in the chapter 5 of Amos, Amos says on behalf of God, like there's a judgment. And then there's a phrase, and then a judgment, and a phrase, and a judgment, and a phrase. And it says, seek me that you may live. Man, I think that's, that, that brings me great comfort. Because even in the judgment, even in the condemnation of our activity and our attitudes and the things that we do that we shouldn't do, God still screams at us. But if you will seek me, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you used to be, or maybe even who you are right now, 
If you will just seek me, you will live. Isn't that beautiful? Because I don't know about you, but I don't deserve it. Which is exactly why it's grace. Exactly why his mercy is so beautiful to me. It should be to all of us. Because he's not willing to shut the door on mercy and grace. And he doesn't shut the door on mercy and grace because he wants everyone to come to know him. We learned last week out of Second Peter that God isn't slow as we understand slow. He just wants everyone to come to a place of repentance. And so he's slow about coming. He waits for as many people as will that he calls to give their life to him. If you'll look through the scripture, you'll see Noah wait, Noah built and preached for 120 years. And God waited. Nineveh sinned generationally. And if you'll look at the atrocities of Nineveh, you'll, you'll have your mind blown. And God waited and sent them a prophet. We sin, and God waits. But let me assure you, there's a judgment coming. As much as he's unwilling to shut the door on grace and mercy, there will be a point in your future where that door will be shut if you don't accept Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And it's for this reason that we preach, so that you'll know that it's through Christ Jesus alone that you're saved, and this is, as saved, how you should act and who you should be and how you should treat others. The problem is we don't do that largely the way we should. And so God condemns the religious practice that we give, which is the title of the sermon this, this weekend, this morning, is God condemns religion, which is exactly what he's doing in three different instances in the chapter 5 of Amos. He condemns religion. Now, I want to caveat before we get started that the bumper sticker is a lie. How many of you guys have read the bumper sticker, I love Jesus, I hate religion? That's impossible. You can't love Jesus and hate religion. You can love Jesus and dislike religious people or people that act religious in a, in a religious fashion without actually being religious. But you can't hate Jesus and religion at the same time. And this is why. Here's the definition for, for religion. The definition is the service and commitment to God, which is what we should be having and doing, through faith and, observant, and observance, and an institutionalized system of attitudes, Beliefs and practices. You can't love Jesus and hate a, a required commitment to God. You can't hate the institutionalized system of beliefs and practices because this is the institutionalized belief and practice that you should be loving. But when we don't get it right, God condemns the religion that we have. And sadly, they weren't getting it right in their time. And to a large degree, we're not getting it right in our time. I don't preach to you from Amos, like I said last week, because, because I want you to know what happened over 2,000 years ago. 
If that activity wasn't happening today, I, I wouldn't preach out Amos. I don't think Amos would be in the Bible. But the fact of the matter is, we're having the same problems today they had 2,000 years ago. So Amos is in the canon of Scripture to show us where we lack. So that God might ultimately be glorified in our life. Amen? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk about how true religion is great. But God condemns religion. Just know that when I say religion, for the purposes of this lesson... It's religiosity. God hates false observation of religion. And he shows that he does in three different ways in chapter 5. Number one, I'm going to make three points. God condemns false religion. Verses 4 through 7 read like this. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. That's us. We've talked about that. We've been grafted in. We belong to God through the seed of Abraham. We've been blessed through the seed of Abraham. We're not talking about <coughs> replacement theology, but we're part of the family now. And so he's talking to us. And so we should bend our ear to what's about to be said. And I only say that because some people say, oh, he was talking to Israel. He wasn't talking to me. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Seek me that you may live. Hmm. But do not resort to Bethel. And do not come to Gilgal, nor cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into captivity, and Bethel will come to trouble. Seek the Lord that you may live. Come on. Or he will break forth like a fire, a house of Joseph, and it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel. For those who turn justice into wormwood, which those who make justice worthless, and cast righteousness down to the earth, which means... so. <coughs> So he's speaking against those that make righteousness or place righteousness underneath their feet and make justice useless. And so he condemns false religion. It's going to take me a second to get there, but I'm going to get there. But first I want to tell you, out of this text, but first I want to tell you that God sets the parameters for true religion. You don't get the opportunity to do that. That's not your privilege. You don't get to tell God how you're going to observe the worship of him. He gets to tell you. And if you're going to call Jesus Christ your Lord, then you're going to do what he says because it's literally what Lord said, what Lord means. People say, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. You didn't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you didn't accept him as Lord first because he can't be your Savior unless he's your Lord first. So he sets the parameters, the outline for how religion should be practiced. And this is what he says. Exodus 23 through 5a says this. These are the parameters of religion, proper religion. You shall have no other gods before me. It's pretty, pretty just straightforward, right? He didn't shade the gray or do anything crazy there. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And so he said, parameter one, I'm the only God, period. There is nothing in your life that you should create or act like is more important than me. 
There's nothing above the earth, below the earth, in the ocean that's more significant than me. I am the only God. And I'm a jealous guy. And his jealous burns fiercely. So that's parameter one. I will have no other God but you. Rule number two, for parameter number two, is Mark 12:30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so the parameters for proper religion, not false religion, are very simple. Acknowledge God only. Don't worship idols. And worship God with everything that you are. Pastor Jim, that's hard. Nobody promised you easy. I think one of the greatest detriments that we cause to the new believer is that we make them think the second that they cut it, come up off this altar or the edge of their bed or wherever they commit their life to the Lord, that their life is going to be better physically. The Bible doesn't promise that. You're going to have trials and tribulations. They're going to wake up tomorrow and wonder why their, their, their whole world's not flowers, rainbows, and butterflies. Maybe we should tell them the truth. That we have to worship God, have no other idols, but worship Him with everything that we have, regardless of what's going on around us. These are the perimeters, parameters of religion. And so I define these parameters to show you how, according to this text, they took what should have been true religion, what should have been religion honoring the only God and loving Him with everything that they have, and they misused it. And you see this in the three the three areas that, that Amos describes here. Gilgal, Bethel, and Beersheba. Let me explain. In Bethel, let me give you a little Old Testament kind of overview. In Bethel, this is where Jacob slept. If you're familiar with the story, he put a stone on his head and he had a, a dream about a ladder, people coming to and from heaven. This is, this is where that happened. He woke up and he says, I've met God here. I've been given a revelation of God. And he named that place Bethel, which means literally the house of God. The place where I can meet God. According to God's standard. According to God's revelation. We don't get to choose the revelation about how we worship God. Because God sets the parameters. Amen? But that's not what happened at all even though it was supposed to be a place where we could meet God according to God's standard, King Jeroboam did something completely different than that. In 1 Kings chapter 12, let me read something to you. They took that, and I'm going to use this verbiage, and it's going to shock you, but it's the right verbiage, so don't, don't be all angry at me. They took what God intended to be beautiful and righteous religion, and they bastardized it. Verse 29, chapter 12, 1 Kings starts with, he set one in Bethel. So we know we're talking about Bethel. I'm going to move to 31. And he made houses on high places. This is idol worship, just so you know, in the Old Testament, if you'll do a little background study. For the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made house, which means people were traveling from all over to worship in these high places. So they were coming from all over to worship according to their own standard. 
outside the parameters of what God called them to be and called them to do. Jeroboam instituted a feast on the eighth month of the 15th day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. And he went up to the altar. Thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priests on the high places which he had made. So I didn't draw this out in the first two services, but I want you to pay attention. He sacrificed the calves that he had what? Made. At the places that he did what? Made. So he was burning idols to a false god in a place where God's presence should have been the only thing worshipped there. This is truly false religion. This is outside the parameters of what God has called us to do, what God has called us to be, what God called them to do. In Gilgal, this is where, if, you, if you're familiar with your Old Testament history at all, and if you're not, let me tell you, it's where the Hebrews came out of the desert after 40 years, crossed the Jordan, and they set up a monument in Gilgal to declare how awesome God is, how, much he had, how well he had taken care of them, his, prov his provision over them, his freeing of them and then delivering them to their promise. And so he said, build this monument from stones within the Jordan so that you could tell generations to come. But they didn't do that. Instead, they decided to use it for their own pleasure and for their own benefit. They began to misuse and do the same thing in Gilgal that they did in Bethel. They began to misuse the promise. And when we misuse the promise, we lose the promise. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because all I'm saying is something very simple. God sets the parameters of our religion. And if we do anything outside of that, we're practicing false religion just as they were doing in their day. And Beersheba... Just one more example. I'll give all three of them to you since Amos did. It's in Beersheba that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all received their covenant. That God would be with them. That God would bless them and bless those that bless them. And these, he reestablished generationally at Beersheba the covenant that he had made with them. And they did the same thing there that they did in Bethel. And the same thing there they did in Gilgal. And because they had a depraved, corrupt religion, they were in danger. And we too, when we do the same thing, are in danger of being part of false worship and losing the promise that we've been given. We do the same thing. You know, we're all, man, those guys from Gilgal, Beersheba, and Bethel, man, they, they're in trouble. We're in trouble. Because we do the same thing. My wife and I call it being blessed out of Jesus. We're the, we're the best at idol worship. You know that? American, Americans are great at idol worship. Let me explain to you what I mean. So people come to church 
most of them, when they're hurting and struggling. They've got an addiction that they've, they've tried everything in the world to get over. They've recently been through a divorce. They've fallen on financial hard times. They've lost their job. Something's happened that has created some tragedy in their life. And someone at some point in their life told them that there was a rumor of hope at the church. And that hope being Christ Jesus. And so they come here looking for that hope. Most of them after they've tried everything else. Right? This is the place where they're going to come to meet God. This is the place where they're going to have their covenant established. And that's what happens. They come here, they're sincerely seeking, and God sincerely reveals himself to them. And then something incredible happens. God does what he says he'll do. They start searching after him. They start reading their word. They start praying. They start giving. They start being committed, doing all the stuff that, that isn't necessarily wrong. Most of it's good. They start doing all this stuff. And then God does what he says he'll do because he's not a liar, and he begins to bless them. They lose their addiction. They find a new job. God sends them a husband or a wife. And then what do we do? And then once that happens, they leave one Sunday afternoon and we never see them again. Because they've learned how to make their wife or their new husband the new idol in their life. They've learned to take their job and make that job the new idol in their life. Or the blessing and make it the new idol in their life. The place where they were supposed to meet God. They met him, created idols there, and were separated from their promise. We see it all the time. It hurts my feeling. For them. Because God has been so good to us. And so for this reason, God condemns false religion. Because we're not adhering to the principle, the parameters that he's established. Let me tell you the danger of what happens when we have a false religion. When we have a false religion, the second condemnation comes. Which is God condemns merciless religion. Do you know if you're not worshiping God right, you can't love people right? So the first one, bullet point, really is Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, which is the first greatest commandment. And the second one is a condemnation because they're not loving their neighbor as their self or as Christ Jesus loved them. False religion will always turn into merciless religion. James 1.27, I want to define what merciful, what true religion, religious practice looks like. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. So it's pretty simple. You want to know what religion looks like? I'm about to tell you. Visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world. And then Jesus in Matthew 25 says this. If you want to practice true religion, if you want to know that you're good at the end of your life, Give your life to the Lord. But in that, you should have the same mercy in you that God, for others, that God had for you. And so you should feed the hungry. 
give drink to the thirsty, shelter the homeless, clothe the naked, look after the sick, visit those in prison. All of this according to Matthew 25, 35 through 36. So what's all that saying? I'm hearing widows and naked and thirsty. You're saying you want to know what merciful religion looks like? It's a religion that cares for people that can't take care of themselves. And they weren't doing that. Let me show you. In verses 10 through 15, it says this. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. So verse 10 is essentially saying they got to a place where they, they hated the truth. I told you, I'm not talking to a church 2,000 years ago. I'm talking to the church right now. We live in a time where people hate the truth. They despise the truth, and if you speak it, they'll hate you too. And that's the position that they were in. That nation was in the same situation that we are in. That they abhor him who speaks with integrity, speaks the truth. Therefore, because you impose, and then he starts telling them what, he, what they're doing that isn't merciful as it should be. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor, Travel anywhere in this town, anywhere in any town. A single mama trying to raise kids, single for no other reason, no, no fault of her own, trying to raise kids, and somebody tries to make her pay for a one-bedroom apartment, $1,300, when the apartment's not worth 500 bucks. We live in a merciless society. You impose heavy rent on the poor, exact a tribute of grain from them. We tax them too much. Though we have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. I think both this is both a condemnation that he's not going to allow them to do that, and two, that they spend so much of their time for stuff that they're never going to spend any time with. So they're spending their time and their effort on fruitless things. You built a house. You got so much money, you built a house you're never going to live in. You spend all this energy building a beautiful vineyard you're never going to drink from. And people around you are hungry and don't have a place to live. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. For you have, dis for, or see, you know, you, I'll say it again. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor at the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent for it is an evil time. Have we seen that? Even the righteous right now aren't talking? Because it seems like it doesn't matter what we say. Somebody's going to call us a racist, a bigot, a xenophobe, some kind of phobe, homophobe, something. And so they've squashed even our ability to speak into this community. Can I tell you, our unwillingness to speak the truth in these times shows that we don't understand the mercy we've been given. I used to say it pretty regularly. I, I haven't said it in quite a while because it's so tough. But you either believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. If you say that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you're either a merciful person, you're a liar, or you're the single worst person on earth. Because if if you believe God extended mercy to you when you didn't deserve it, then you have one choice to show other people 
what God did for you. Could you imagine being such a horrible Christian that the people around you are dying and going to hell and you don't have enough love and mercy for them to tell them the truth for fear that they might be fussy at you? So if you say you believe what you believe but don't tell anybody, you're either a liar, you don't believe that, or you're one of the most horrible people ever walked the face of the earth. And so you probably don't believe that. Oh, man, that's tough. I know. I know, trust me. I spend as much of my time on my face as you guys do where I recognize that I fall short. But it doesn't abdicate our responsibility to be merciful because God expects us to be merciful. Amen? Number three. God condemns empty religion. When we have false religion, which is a religion that's outside the parameters of what God established, when we take what God gave us and misuse it for our own pleasure, for our own benefit, for our own position, to make us look good, what I didn't read to you out of 1 Kings is that the king stepped in and gave actual sacrifices too, which he isn't supposed to do. He's a king. He's not a priest. And so we use religion falsely to up our position, to make ourselves look good, to make ourselves feel good. But when that happens, it's a matter of time before we're merciless. And when that happens, we have empty, dead religion. 18 through 24 reads like this. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. And when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him, will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness at all? Hey, let me tell you what Amos is saying. All you righteous, pious folks out there that are screaming, man, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. We're going to wish Jesus had waited just a little bit longer. There's no place you're going to be able to run, no place you're going to be able to step your hand or your feet. The judgment isn't going to be there for you. There's going to be darkness and gloom for some who thought that they were good. There's the message of Matthew 7, where he says, Depart from me, for I never knew you. What they lacked was obedience. They lacked mercy. They lacked adherence to the word of God. And so he says there's going to be a time when those of us that long for the day of the Lord would wish that he would have waited just a little bit longer. And he says, because of the unrighteousness, because of your willingness to step outside the parameters of the religion that I've established, because of your desire to, to be merciless instead of merciful as you should be, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Your church don't impress me. Wear your robes, wear your suits, wear your slacks and your beautiful dresses. I'm not impressed by that. Even though you offer up me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. 
Bring your offerings. Give to the missions. Dump out your bank account. Put it in the offering bucket. We're going to use it for the glory of God, but it's going to do you no benefit because it says that God's not going to take it. He's not going to accept your offer. It means nothing to him. I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Our worship should be a sweet aroma to God. But when we're practicing religion falsely, when we're practicing a merciless religion, God doesn't even want to hear us open our mouth for we are dis- our, our voices are disgusting to him. See how serious this is? That no matter what I, where I go, no matter what I give, no matter what I sing or worship, God rejects it all if we don't do it according to his standard. He says, but let justice roll down like waters and let righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So he's saying, don't do that. Do this. Be people of justice because I'm a God of justice. Be people of righteousness because I am a God of righteousness. Let justice roll in our life. Live according to the standards, the parameters that God set up. See the homeless guy that nobody else is seeing. See the widow that no one else is visiting. See the old guy that sits at the Walmart bench every day who sits there for no other reason than he'd sit there or sit at home by himself. And here at least somebody may stop and talk to him. Be the person that talks to him. Pray with him. There's so much need in this world. People call me and say, hey, pastor, is there anything I can put my hand to? Well, go outside. Look around. If it's not readily apparent, like if it doesn't trip over you, I guarantee you could ask God, God, show me something today. And he'll show you. Because that's a prayer that he's willing to answer. We have to have true religion. Because God condemns anything else. Amen? And so that's my prayer today. That we come to a place where we recognize that we may not be getting it right. That's, that's, that's my prayer every day. God, if we're not getting it right, show me. Show us. It's the reason why I tell you, lay in your bed, consider your ways. It's the reason why David considered his ways. Because some of us have been sinning so long the same way, we don't even realize what we're doing is sinful. But God will show you if you ask him. And then we have the promise that says if we ask forgiveness for our sin, that God is what? Faithful and just to forgive us. But not just forgive us, because He could forgive us and we'd still be going to hell, but establish righteousness in us. So He forgives us and gives us our righteousness back. All because we took the time to say, God, would you? And please forgive me. So my prayer really is, God, where we lack, show us. Accept our plea of forgiveness. Because I know that you're faithful and just to do it. The message is, seek me that you may live. That's the only one that I have. And we seek Jesus 
that we may live. It's because of Jesus that we live. And anything outside of that is condemned by God as false religion. Amen? Take the time to ask your God what he would have you do. Amos is talking to the church. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name.